Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon and hope you are enjoying the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Dan Borchik and I'm a first year MBA and engineering student at MIT. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel to play or not to play, Rich Eisen, one-on-one with J.J. Watt. Our panelist is J.J. Watt, three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year and a five-time first-team All-Pro selection and a defensive end for the Arizona Cardinals. Our panel will be moderated by Rich Eisen, the host of the Emmy-nominated Rich Eisen Show and an NFL Network broadcaster. The moderated panel will run for approximately 20 minutes and we'll leave 25 minutes at the end for audience questions. Please use hashtag time to play on Twitter to submit questions to our panelists. Questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Rich. Thanks very much, Dan. Greatly appreciate it. And JJ, don't act so surprised when you hear that my show's Emmy nominated. I don't understand. (laughs) The only thing I was surprised by was that it wasn't Emmy award winning. Thank you. I was too. I was too. I would say I was robbed, but I think we lost to Inside the NBA, which is a tremendous show. Um, how are you, JJ Watt? How's everything going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, just whenever you're ready to hand over the honorary degree from MIT, I'm, I'm ready to accept. So is that what you're doing this for? That's what you hear. You're here for the honorary degree. It was, I was under the understanding that that was part of it. That's what (laughs) Daryl Morey told me. I don't know. I haven't received my VIP gift bag yet, but I'll be sifting through for, for I don't know if that's part of it, but uh, me, I'm, one can only hope. One can only hope. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for I, doing it. I'm looking I, forward I, to it. I, and you know what? I'm and I'm thrilled to be chatting with you. You're one of my favorite people. I I think you and I first met at the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. You were just finishing your rookie season. It was you and Cam Newton doing uh, an event. Yeah. And the lines were already around the corner for both of you, and you for stayed to the last second. You were taking photographs and just shaking hands and kissing babies, and it was. It was the beginning of a run that's taken you now uh, to all of these heights, JJ. So let's get started with um, the fact that you could have been introduced as an Arizona Cardinal. It's going to probably, I imagine, take some time for you to get used to something like that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, after 10 years of being in Houston and obviously doing interviews and introducing myself as a Houston Texan, it certainly does take a, a little bit of time to get used to the new title. Uh, my brother and I were doing something yesterday for the NFL Network and they said, just introduce yourself and, and say, you know, J.J. Watt, defensive end, Arizona Cardinals. And it still takes my brain a couple seconds to, to flip over from just automatically saying Houston Texans. So, um, but very excited, very excited to be down in Arizona, very excited about the team, the opportunity. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I hear you. For the first two years, I was on NFL Network a couple times on NFL Total Access. I welcome people back to SportsCenter. Like that, act, that actually happened. I'm serious, you know, and I could see everyone in the control room going like, oh, you yeah. know, like one of those moments. But it's, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're so ident- you're, yeah. you're identified. I mean, that's your identity. That's been your identity since coming off of campus in yeah. Wisconsin. And uh, I imagine that, you know, that's going to take some time for you to get used to, you know? Yeah. Same thing as, as when I tra- when I went from Wisconsin to Houston, you know, you have to like, even with interview questions, when you're talking about the city and you're talking about all sorts of things, like. 10 years is a long time to have built up this kind of 
repertoire of, of the way you answer questions and the, the things that you talk about and the, the highlights that you do with your teammates and things. And so to flip all that over now and, and talk about the Valley and talk about Phoenix and talk right. about, you know, Scottsdale and all those things. It's uh, but I can tell you one thing, I'm looking forward to getting to know the area even better because I was down there a couple weeks ago and it's a, it's a beautiful place. It sure is. So um, did you like being you know wooed and i mean it's been a while for you i imagine right that the last for for you to go on some sort of a tour or just hear what other people have to say about your worth your value your abilities your desire to play uh for them to have play for you that had to be something for you yeah it obviously wasn't the most typical free agency ever because of covid and because you're not able to travel and actually meet with people and get in person so um it was it was unique in the fact that it was before actual free agency. So I did have time to kind of sit there and uh, really assess everything. Um, but I mean, obviously the most fascinating part is just watching fake stories and, and made up headlines and all sorts of different um, people just running with absolute truths as if it's, as if I, it came straight from my mouth. And that was kind of the whole time. I never said a word for that exact reason was I wanted it to be as quiet as possible. And, and I think a lot of people were, probably surprised by Arizona at the end because we never it was never spoken about it was never leaked it was never talked about um and that was on purpose I wanted my process to be quiet and I just kind of let people say whatever they wanted to say the whole time and, and it didn't bother me yeah I guess the whole concept is like you know maybe you'd want to go back to green you know Wisconsin or play with your brother or were those any possibilities at any point in time I mean, there are plenty of possibilities throughout the whole whole free agency process. I mean, there's every situation comes with a different set of circumstances and a different set of things that happen. Um, I think that, you know, being down in Arizona, one of the biggest things for me down in Arizona is Vance Joseph is the defensive coordinator. We were together my first couple of years in the NFL when Wade Phillips was a defensive coordinator. Um, Wade ran a defense that I had a lot of fun and success in, and we had a lot of success as a defense. So the familiarity there is phenomenal and then the opportunity to play alongside guys like Chandler Jones and Buda Baker and um, some of the other guys they've got on that defense we're gonna have a lot of fun um, with a young talented quarterback and Kyler and you got Hop and you got now we got AJ Green and there's there's players all over the place and Cliff is he's got an offense that flies flies the ball around the field so I'm really looking forward to the opportunity we have a young talented team and uh, I just I can't wait to hit the field with them. All right, so let's get to the topic at hand, to play or not to play, because uh, I, I don't know if this is this is my first time in, in at, at this conference as well. I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm thin-skinned or I got my head in the swivel. I, I don't know if there's somebody's like taking a hit rate on my question per actually hitting the title type thing or, you know, like a, there's an interview above replacement or something like that that's being applied to me right now, JJ. So <laughs> I guess let's get to play or not to, to play. Play or right not here. to play. Let's, let's do it. I just play. Yeah, I know that's, you know, and it is kind of an obvious question to ask uh, an athlete, certainly somebody like yourself, having gone through what you've gone through with injuries, though. So when you when you have come back from injuries, how, how do you view the concept of wanting to play and ever having a moment where you thought, you know what, I, I just I just don't know why I'm doing this anymore. Yeah, I can tell you that my response to injury rehab and recovery has changed dramatically over time. Um, the first time that I had a, well, I mean, when you're young, you're invincible. 
you're just you 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 think you're invincible you believe you're invincible you believe that everything is going to work out perfectly and exactly how it's supposed to work out so my second year in the league the second week of training camp I dislocated my elbow tore every ligament in there and we're four, three four weeks away from our first game and this is my second year in the league I'm obviously trying to build up who I am as a player and what I can accomplish in this league um went and got trainer popped it back in on the field um went and got the MRIs it said you're ligaments are all torn and then I they said but you're not a baseball pitcher you don't need to like throw a baseball with your left arm so you just let it scar over and it'll it'll heal itself you have to wear this brace the rest of your career but I was 23 years old and I said okay whatever just put the brace on it let's go play and so three days later I was doing push-ups in the training room and I was like let's go it's just whatever like I was almost too dumb to realize like you might want to be a little smarter about this but I ended up playing the first game of that season. And that, that was my first defensive player of the year season. I think the naivety of it, naivety, naivety is great. MIT conference. I don't even know it's the word naivety of it um, helped in that circumstance. I was very young. Your body is very, can recover very quickly and, and can do some things that you don't even really, it probably shouldn't be able to do. Then later I had my first true career, my first season ending injury. Uh, which was the back surgery. And, and so my back, I messed up my L5S1 in my back. And um, again, thought I was invincible. I said, what's, I asked, I literally asked the trainer and the doctor, I said, what's the fastest anybody's ever come back from this? And I think they said it was, I can't remember, but it was absurd. It was just a ridiculous timeline. I said, all right, I'm going to beat it. And that was kind of my mindset for everything was I'm going to do this the fastest and the best anybody's ever done it. Well, when you're dealing with a back surgery, that is the probably the single worst plan that you can have. (laughs) So I came back, I made it back for the, I had the surgery, I think in July and I played in the first game of the season in September and uh, three games into the season, I, I did my back again and missed the whole season. So then you start to learn like, okay, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm approaching this the wrong way, but it's a battle. It's constantly a battle mentally with yourself because you're an athlete and your whole life you've been taught about competition and perseverance and this mindset of be tough, overcome everything. Um, but you have to learn and grapple with the reality that sometimes things do take time and you have to allow them to play out that course of action that they have to play out you know, you, for you to come back the way that you should be able to come back. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's part of the reason why I'm thrilled that I'm, I'm here with you today at, at a, a conference like this one, having a conversation like this one, because we, you know, I could I could throw out some analytics here about what the the average recovery rate is. And, you know, I do have one that there's a five to 10 percent chance of a recurrence for the average person of hurting their back again <laughs> and, and, you know, with a herniated disc. And obviously we, we just heard what you went through, but this conversation is, is a lot about heart, you know, and it's a lot about want to, and it's a lot about what's in your DNA and, you know, and your parents and what they instilled in you or coaches, what they instilled in you. Did you have a moment at any point in these times in your career, you know, where you thought maybe this is, you know, this is something I don't want to do anymore. You know, I, 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 you know, I've got a, a brain in my head. I got a head on my shoulders. I got a body that does work. But if I keep doing this again, I mean, what, what's the point? I mean, did you have, did you ever have one of those moments in a, in a rehab? JJ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
And I, it took me a long time to be able to admit that I would say, because one of the things that you kind of struggle with is the fact that you have this tough mindset where it's, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to, every day is a great day. Every day in rehab is a positive step forward towards where I'm trying to get to. The reality of rehab is some days suck. Some days you are literally thinking, am I going to get better? Am I going to be the player that I was before this? Am I going to be able to get on the field period? Um, and that's just the facts. Like some days early in a rehab session, you're only allowed to do a simple leg lift or a walk. Um, and some days you can't even do that leg lift. And some days you're struggling with that. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't even lift my leg up. How the hell am I going to play football again? Much less play it at the highest level I can possibly play it at. Much less play it at a defensive player of the year caliber level and earn this paycheck that this team has told me that they're going to give me for my play. And you start to like stack all these things on top of yourself. And you think about the fans, you think about your teammates, you think about the money, you think about just all the expectations and the goals and that stacks up and it can weigh on you. Um, but you, it also can be motivation because that's literally why I did go through all the mud. That's why I went through all the shit of the rehab and the just work and the grind and the tedious and the pettiness and there's the little day-to-day things that you have to do because of my teammates, because of my, the fans, because of the, the obligation that I said to the team that I'm going to give them everything I have every day. There are definitely times where I thought, should I just stop? Should I just not do this? Um, but the overwhelming feeling every single time was, no, I, I, I'm going to run back out of that tunnel. I'm going to go make plays that make this entire place stand up on their feet once again. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I know I'm just saying that because, you know, you're here in front of other people. Like I have in, in my, wow, geez, 18 years uh, with NFL Network and being in stadiums, in the NFL and coming the NFL. I've seen two people, two players whose play on the field plug directly into the to the fans in the stands. And again, this is I love having conversations like this because I don't know how to to put analytics on this, but their play on the field just sent the fans in a totally different frenzy and like plugged in like the matrix, you know. It's Marshawn Lynch in Seattle and it's you in Houston. I mean, I, I have been there watching how the, the fans are kind of like wondering what what's today going to be like. Then you come up with a sack or a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown. That was the end of that. It was a wrap, a total wrap. And I imagine that's got to be something intoxicating for you to maybe fuel yourself as you're trying to get the hell back out there. Yeah, you know? well, I appreciate that. First of all, the that's fact. a proud company. And uh, that's exactly it. I mean, on the darkest days, on the days where you're struggling, Um, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have incredible people who have helped pick me up when I'm down, whether it's my wife, whether it's my family, it's teammates, it's trainers. Um, but the, the thing that really keeps you striving towards playing on that field again is that intoxicating feeling of making the play that changes the game, that gets the entire building, the entire city, the entire state on your side. Uh, there's, there's nothing like it. And I can it's one of those things that it's so intoxicating and it's such a, it's such a rush and a feeling that you can't get in any, any other aspect of life that I, it makes you understand when, when people say, you know, they leave the game and they, you just never get that again. And you're constantly trying to find it. I can understand why 
you don't get that anywhere else because it's there's nothing like it. But at the same time, those highs, those unbelievable moments where you're feeling that rush, that energy, that intensity, the exact flip of that is the consequence of the opportunity to have those highs. That's the injury. That's the, the loss. That's the crushing defeat. That's the broken leg coming off the field and going into a ambulance and going to the hospital to have immediate surgery. Mm. You know, it's, it's those, it's that, you know, weight and balance that you have to constantly give back and forth in your head. And that's, you, you know, you sit here, I'm 32 years old now and I can't wait to play in my 11th season in the league. Um, but a couple of years ago, you're weighing that balance and saying, are those highs worth it? If that happens again. How has marriage maybe changed this though? How has marriage maybe changed this JJ? Not to say that you were a selfish individual playing for no one other than just yourself, but now obviously, but your wife is a professional athlete. And so she understands this push pull and the the weight and balance that you're going through right now. What what, will that change anything? Do you think uh, at all? My, my marriage and my wife has exponentially helped my mentality. Uh, I used to get, I used to beat myself up so bad mentally when I couldn't be out on the field. And when I would be going through those rehab days and I would be, I'd have a rough day or I'd watch my teammates walk out to practice while I stayed in the rehab room. And I would just crush myself and say, you're letting your team down. You're letting your fans down. You're letting yourself down. Like get, do more rehab, do more, whatever you can. Even when it was to my detriment, I would be saying, do more. You need to be doing more. And she is, she's unbelievable. She, early in our career, or career, early in our, in our time yes. together when we were dating, uh, I had my first back surgery. She helped me through that. And then she tore her ACL. So I was helping her through that. So in the first couple of years of our dating, we both had gone through, you know, very tough situations in our careers. And having helped each other through those situations while going through them ourselves, um, we kind of formed a bond and like this, we can't even really explain what it's like, but she, I will say this to this day, she helps me mentally more than anybody I've ever been around because she helps lift me up on the bad days. And uh, she gives me a kick in the ass when I need it to. And I'm very thankful for it. And it's interesting um, on, on another level here, we're talking about, you know, uh, marriages and what a wife may say to a football player who's been there and done that. And it's interesting that, you know, Tom Brady says that Giselle has told him like, what else you got to prove, you know? And the amazing thing is JJ, we're talking about your injuries and how you've come through a lot and you've succeeded so much. And that this is your 11th season in the NFL at age 32, you'd have to play one more season than you've already played in order to play in the NFL at the same age as Brady's going to play as the defending Super Bowl champion, how, how, how long do you think you're going to go? Do you think you might ever get to that level of playing until say, you're 40 or what do you think? I will say this about Tom. I, I don't think that, first of all, he gets, he gets an immense amount of respect. Obviously he's the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he even gets enough credit for what he's accomplished and, and how he's done it for such a sustained level of success for such a long period of time. Um, as an athlete, as a player uh, who has been frustrated by playing against Tom many, many times, 
I have to, I have nothing but respect and take my hat off for what he's accomplished and the way he's been able to do it for years and years. So it's as somebody who's on the playing field with him, I, I just, I can't stress how impressive it is for myself. I feel very good physically right now. Um, one of the things that I've learned through injuries. So this, this fits directly into this panel. Um, when you're coming back from an injury first couple of times, like I said, it was get me back out there as fast as I can. Just put me back on the field. Let me be who I am. Then you go through a phase where you say, okay, I screwed that one up because I came back too fast. Let me listen to exactly what the doctors say now. And if you know doctors, they're generally going to err on the side of caution. So you're going to not, you're not going to be lifting as much as you would normally lift. You're going to be doing basically everything to just stay healthy and get you back on the field, as opposed to getting you back on the field as great as you can possibly be. So I went through that phase where it was just getting back on the field and, and make sure he stays healthy. And then I would say in the last, you know, I don't, I can't put a timeline on it, but I basically said to myself, okay, you can go out on the field and you can be healthy and play, play okay football, or you can go out there and give it everything you got and see what happens. And yes, it may end in, in misery and pain and, and the way you don't want to, but it also may go, you may go back to playing the best football you can possibly play. So I've made that decision where I'm not going to go out on the field and just try and be an okay player and stay, you know, perfectly healthy and not put myself in tough situations. Um, I'm doing everything that I can to be the best possible player that I can be. Um, and that is being smart about it, but that is pushing the limits and pushing the boundaries. So one thing uh, from an injury standpoint that I can talk about is after my back surgeries, the trainers and the, and the doctors basically took back squatting off of my palate. They said, you can't, you can't put any sort of weight on your back, but you don't even really want your front squatting at all. Like don't load your back anymore. So I said, okay, which I understood. I understand why you would not want to do that. It, it makes perfect sense. Um, but we've tried, I've tried in the last five years, almost every alternative form of lower body loading that you can do. Double leg, single leg, belt squat, lunges, step ups, RFEs, any form of leg building activity that you can do, I've tried them all. And there is nothing that replicates either a front squat or a back squat, some form of loading where you can put a substantial amount of weight on and do a bilateral movement. There's just nothing that gets the exact same effect for what I need to accomplish on the field. So about halfway through this past season, our season wasn't going the way that we wanted it to go. It wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. So I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this conservative program anymore. I'm doing me. And if I go down, I go down, but I'm doing me. So halfway through the season, I started very, very lightly and very, very slowly back squatting again. Uh, and I built it in my program. And then by the last game of the season, I was, I just had 405 on my back again. Um, and there's doctors that'll probably tell me that's the dumbest thing in the world to do. But if I'm going to go put myself on that football field, I'm not going to put out a bullshit product. I don't want to put out a product that I'm not proud of. I don't want to be a player that I'm not proud to be on that field playing the way that I know how to play. So it's my back actually feels the best it's felt 
because it's had to deal with the strength. It's had to figure out, okay, let's, let's do this. And I have, I have perfect form. I have all these things because I knew that I had to do it exactly the right way and build it the right way. And my legs feel by far the best they felt. And maybe you'll just find a different way to expend your energy and, and reserve your energy in another way. Cause it's, it's, I just remember one of the first years of NFL total access. I'm with Rod Woodson, uh, pro football hall of famer. You will, I could say this, not you, but you will share a room with him in, in Ohio one day. I can say those things, but, um, he, he would watch Sean Merriman do his lights out celebration after a sack. And he just shake his head. I'm like, what? He's, he's just celebrating. He goes, when he's later in his career, he goes, he, that just wastes, that just wastes another snap that wastes two snaps. Like I, he's like that. You just gotta be done with the play and, you know, and move on. And, and the video that went viral this week of Bryson DeChambeau warming up at the masters, just cranking him out while VJ Singh is just kind of there, like with his back yeah. surgery and his green jackets, like, yeah. All right. <laughs> I can relate to that. I used to go out to the field and warm up three hours before the game. I mean, just a full warm up. You get into a full lather. Like I'm doing pass rush moves. I'm catching balls. I'm sprinting. Right. And now, I mean, I go out there and I warm up, you know, 90 minutes, two hours before the game at most. And I think I, I watched some of the young guys warm up three, three and a half hours before the game. And I'm like, guys, we are about to play a three hour and 15 minute <laughs> football game. You are currently six and a half hours away from the end of this game. What are you doing? Like, it's, I, it's just, it, you're that you guy actually, now. You're you that guy now. <laughs> I am. But I mean, if you think about the concept of that, like you're two hours, you're three hours away from kickoff even. So the first play, we're not even talking about the last play. The first play of the game, we're three hours away. What is this sprint going to do for you three hours from now? And it's just, it's, it's funny, but I, I get it. That my first ever NFL game, I got so tired in warmups because I was so jacked up and I wanted to look so good doing my like little pass rush moves that by the first kickoff, I was gassed. Dead. <laughs> and that was the first wake up moment for me. I was like, dude, you got to you got to figure this out. Well, you're going to have to pace yourself your first game in Arizona because you're probably going to be so amped up for that. I mean, and and knock on wood, it looks like, you know, Hands are back. we we might get we will. Yeah, we're going to get some tons of stadiums. So, all right. I, I've got loads of questions here I want to get to to. All right. To, to these are all in here. I put on my glasses here so I can read them appropriately. All right. Uh, first up, JJ, what has it been like going to a new team during the pandemic like you have in terms of meeting your new teammates, coaching staff, brand new city? And how does the dynamic uh, working with you and your wife playing in different cities most of your careers? What about that? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, um, it is interesting going to a new team during this time. Obviously, we don't we still have no idea. It's a week away, but we still don't know if we're going to have OTAs or not, uh, if we're going to you know, meet together in person, if we're going to do Zoom meetings again. Thankfully, I know some of the guys on the team already from past relationships, but also um, just texting with guys and trying to get in communication with guys and already trying to build up those relationships. It's a little easier in 2021 when everybody's used to, you know, DMing on Instagram and texting. And so we're, we're very, we're very savvy in that way. So I'm, I'm getting to know them well. Um, but it is, it is a little more difficult to build that chemistry when you're not physically there and in person, but once we get to camp and once we're ready to roll, it, it gets, it goes quick. Um, as far as my wife and myself, uh, she plays in Chicago now. And so during the off season, I'm up here in Wisconsin training. So 
she's only a two hour drive away. So on the weekends, I'll drive down there to see her or she'll come up here if she has a couple off days. Um, but we both understand that we're at a point in our careers right now where we're trying to be the absolute best we can be. Um, me as a football player, her as a soccer player. So I've told her that whatever you need from me in terms of support, uh, you have it because I want you to be the best soccer player you can be. If it's whatever it is, your apartment, your food, whatever we need to do, and, and however I can support you in being the best that you can possibly be, um, do it. And she's told me the exact same thing. She said, you, you know, you go to Wisconsin, you train, whatever you need to do. When you need to go to Arizona, do it. Um, but we both understand that we're at a very special time right now at the top of our games and at the top of our fields. And there's kids that dream about these opportunities, so we don't want to waste them. And if we have to sacrifice a little bit of time now uh, apart from each other, we'll do it. Yeah, you got a lifetime ahead of you. Uh, Here's the next one. Middle linebackers are often often called the captains of the defense, but recently pass rushers have started to hit higher levels on the field and in the locker room. What role would you say players like you and Aaron Donald play on your respective teams? Yeah, I think that one of the things coming into Arizona that the coaching staff and and the front office has told me is that they – they brought me in for a leadership role. Now I've told them very quickly, listen, I'm not here just to be a leader. I'm here to be a dominant player. Um, but I, I do look forward to that leadership role. And it's something that I do cherish. I think that as a pass rusher, you have the opportunity to change the game with a sack, with a strip sack, with a batted ball. Um, so you can change that momentum physically for your team and for your fans by doing it on the field. Um, but you also can do it in the locker room and in, in many different ways as a leader and leadership could be its own, its own panel here. And there's so many things that you can get into from that front. But I think that the middle linebacker still is that role on a team. I think that same with quarterback on offense, whoever's calling the plays and whoever's speaking the most to every position is always going to be in that leadership position. The quarterback tells the offensive line where to block. They tell the receivers where to go, the running back where to line up. The middle linebacker on the defense is communicating the front to the defensive line. He's communicating pass coverage rules to the DBs. He's kind of got his hands in every bucket. So he's always going to have that more leadership position. Um, So I think it's still, I'll still defer to that position overall. All right. We've reached uh, the, what do you think of analytics portion of this conversation, (laughs) JJ, and be careful. You can't say they're bullshit. There's a whole conference, two days worth right here. Uh, <laughs> Analytics are fascinating. Uh, it fascinates me. Obviously, as an athlete, uh, I think the part you would expect me to say, just leave them out of the game. We don't need them. Um, but I've, I, it's such a, I mean, I, I'm fascinated in this conference for this reason, because mm-hmm. There are absolutely times where I look at the analytic reasons for doing something and I say, yes, I completely follow that. I absolutely do it. And then there are moments as an athlete when you're in the game and you're feeling that momentum, like Rich said, you have the crowd on your side or you have something that can't be measured by mm-hmm. numbers. And you say, just, just give me this one shot. I'll give you, I'll give you a good example of this. Please. So we were playing the Fal- I mean, we were playing the Ravens. I want to say it was like 2014 or 2015 and they had the ball in the two minute drill to driving down, trying to win the game. We had the lead. It was third down. I was gassed because it was two minute drill and I was pass rushing, but they were moving the ball down the field. So they were probably six or seven plays into the drive. And I had been pass rushing 100% effort, six or seven plays in a row. And you're just dead. And they're getting on the ball fast. They're getting on the ball fast. 
It's third down going into fourth down. The clock is running. I look over to my head coach and give him this look. It was Bill O'Brien. I gave him a look and he's told this story before so he can back me up. I gave him a look like if you give me a timeout, I am going to catch my breath and get a sack to win us the game. And now your analytics would say never stop the clock ever when the other team has the ball in the two-minute drill trying to go down to win the game. It would be the dumbest thing ever to do. He saw my look. He called the timeout. I got water, dropped straight to a knee, took like whatever, 30, 45 seconds, caught my breath. Fourth down, I got the sack. We won the game. Now, your analytics are going to tell you that was the dumb, no, your win percentage if you do this, whatever. But in that moment, he trusted me to know that I was going to beat this offensive tackle if I could just catch my breath for 30 seconds. It's a very specific example, but that's one example of something where I just knew. I had a feeling, and I knew what was going to happen. So is there any, you know, any anything else analytics-wise, I mean, um, that that's – ever presented to you before a game by the staff in a way or that's just downloaded to the coaching staff and they plug it into yeah. whatever they feel is the throw the flow of a game like how how does it actually filter down to the field will, and the play here i will say this it's such like a it's obviously not new but it's a fairly it's somewhat new especially mm-hmm. in football there are controversial times throughout a game like I think one of the one of the analytic things that I I agree with um, that still hasn't kind of gotten 100% acceptance around the league is the the going for two when you're down by two scores um, like late right away right like you're down 14 and and then your team goes for two to make it six as opposed to just seven and if you yeah Yeah. a lot of fans are really confused by that yeah, so I'm on board with that one. I, I understand the reason behind that one. I think that's a good thing. You you could be sitting on the sideline in your own game and you're in that situation and you kick the field goal or you kick the extra point. Mm-hmm. And some of the guys on the bench now that have been watching, you know, or seeing the analytics on other games and watching could be saying, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, we got to be going for two. And there's been many situations like that, actually, that pop up where the, whether it's when to call a timeout in the two minute drill at the end of the game, or whether it's if a coach should accept the penalty or not accept the penalty. I think more and more players are seeing how things play out on other games when they're watching and they're understanding the analytics more. And they're kind of speaking up a little bit on the sidelines. There've been a couple of times in the last couple of years where I haven't agreed with the decision. I'm yelling down the sideline. What are we doing? Why are we not taking a timeout or why are we not? And it's interesting um, because some teams have the full analytics team on their side and they have the headphones of the coach and the, their analytics person can tell them immediately. And some teams just don't have it. And the issue is, is when they don't work, you know, then yeah. an athlete, I imagine certainly, you know, of your caliber would be, well, why don't you just rely on my ability to dig down deep and run counter to what the analytics might say about this situation and when they don't work is when people really light them up. I'm, I'm guilty of that um, right. quite a bit on my show every day, certainly after just to mix sports here when Blake Snell was removed from the World Series in game right. six. And, you know, he's dominating, but Mookie Betts represents the third time through the order and out he goes and then World yeah. Series over after all that. And, you know, it's just like any decision, whether – you know, you want to play hit and run here or put in, you know, let's, 
let's put in this person or that person, regardless of the sport, often more often than not, if you rely on the analytics, it will work out. But sometimes it's that one time when it just doesn't. And holy crap, look out below, man. You know? I think that I think from a player's perspective, one of the most important things that you can do if you're going to do that is you, you have to do it every time. Um, if you're going to believe the analytics and you're going to be an analytics team, I think you have to be an analytics team 100% of the time because the times that you break away from it or the time that you, the one time you're analytics and it doesn't work. And then the other time you switch back, then the players are like, okay, they don't actually believe in what they're doing or they're, they're trying to pick and choose where they can. Then the players start to question you. Then the players say, okay, so what, what are we doing here? Like, are you, are you trusting us to do our job or are you just, is, are you going by the numbers? And I think that that's, I think probably with Snell, you saw it. That's where he gets, he got mad, obviously, which is rightfully so, because he's like, I'm going to win us the world series and you go with analytics. But if you're going with the analytics 100% of the time, at least the team can say, we've consistently done this. This is how we do things. And this, we're going to live by it or die by it. Yeah. I guess if you're an analytics team all the time, and then all of a sudden, like, you know what, I'm going to go on my gut this one time. Right. right. <laughs> and then I could understand it would be, you know, confusing like that. Uh, here's another one. Uh, JJ, Bill Belichick is quoted as saying talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. Do you believe that it's possible to determine whether a football player will be successful in the NFL given data and statistics alone or is character an equally important piece? I don't think you can judge it by both of those things combined. I, I think that there are so many factors that go into what defines success in the National Football League. And I'll give you an example from my own personal life. So I was drafted 11th overall by Houston. I was immediately given, put into a starting role on the team. Uh, my third game of my rookie year, I was not, I had not been playing good football. I had zero sacks. Uh, I had not been playing that great. Didn't have that many tackles. Didn't, it wasn't really impacting the game in that many big ways. Third game of the season, we were playing Baltimore. And I got cut out of my gap which means that I got blocked and the ball ran right where I was supposed to be. And they gained some yards three times, three times this exact error happened. And I made the mistake after the third time that this mistake happened, the coach yanked me from the game, the line coach. And he told the trainer, take his helmet away. I'm not putting him back in the game. So I'm sitting there on the sideline as a first round draft pick, 11th overall starter. And I'm out of the game now. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh no, am I, Am I done? Like, is this, is this the end? Did I just lose my one chance at the NFL? Now, if I wasn't a first round pick, I would have been done. They're, they're, they're not going to let a seventh, eighth or a seventh round undrafted guy have three opportunities as a starter and screw them all up. He's going to be gone. He's going to be cut or he's going to be relegated down to the practice squad or he's not going to get that opportunity because I was a first round pick. They had to give me a chance. They had to let me work it out. And obviously over time, it worked itself out and I, I turned out to be okay. But if I did if I had a coach who wasn't going to give me that opportunity or who didn't let me work through some of my issues, it was, it was, it would have been curtains for me. And I think that's one of the things for me that hurts about today's world, especially with the social media and with things like this. Like I look at a, a guy like Tua in Miami right now who comes in as a rookie and he is immediately judged on every single play of every single game. And now they're trying to decide if he's a bust after year one. Right. And I'm like, the guy had one year, wasn't even a full playing year. 
And we're already trying to decide if we need to find a new quarterback and move on and move in a different direction. Their development is kind of gone. We don't, you know, it's, it's kind of figured out in college. And, and if you don't have it figured out by the time you get to the NFL, you're done. And then you think about college and with the transfer portal now, we've kind of taken development out of college even because players are coming in and if they don't start in year one or if they don't play, then they're looking to the transfer portal to go to a different location. So the, the lack of development and opportunity for players to grow and turn into the player that they're eventually going to become is dwindling. And for me, a guy who would benefited greatly from that, that's unfortunate. Can you imagine if Twitter existed, JJ, in 2004, what the mentions of at Drew Brees would have looked like when Philip right. Rivers got drafted? You right. know what I mean? Like, could you Im- bust? Right. Like, they, they've already would drafted. Would he have gotten the opportunity? Play- would he have, like, would right. he have ever gotten the opportunity in this league Right. Would he have just been automatically written off as uh, he's not he's not good enough? Right. He goes to New Orleans and then that alone, you know, he's made a, a first ballot Hall of Fame career off of all that. So uh, we've reached the getting loose portion of the questions right here. Uh, right. I don't know if they're sur- serving alcohol in this virtual MIT thing here, but um, I, 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 let me answer this one. I'll ask it and then answer it for you, JJ. Uh, who's better, Larry Fitz in his prime or DeAndre Hopkins? Just use the uh analytics phrase there's a zero percent chance jj watt is going to answer that let alone twitch in the direction of even having an opinion no okay you're 100 percent right rich thank you for spot on but i mean who knew how how fortunate am i to have seen both of these guys and what they've accomplished i mean hop has made some of the most miraculous individual talent plays i've ever seen i mean the guy you throw the ball within 10 yards of hop and that ball is being caught you throw the ball anywhere to Larry Fitzgerald and that ball is being caught for years and years. I think he's got like the record ever for most catches in a row without a drop. And again, like Tom, Larry has done this for years and years and years and is still doing it at an extremely high level. So you're never going to get me to pick between the two, but I'm never, I'm no. lucky and hopeful that both are in Arizona. Now I agree with you too. Cause I, I, I don't know how much I haven't looked at the research, but I will, or at least I'll have somebody do it for me. Come on. Who am I kidding? Um, is that, 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 that patch that you have right here, man, that patch that you have right here of the Walter Payton man of the year. What, I don't know how many teams have had two guys have that on their uniform. And if obviously Larry sticks around, right. um, the Cardinals will have that. That is a, that is one of the coolest patches. Not, but I mean, you, you walk around. There's a lot of guys with the C on, but not that patch that's right there on that uniform, brother. It's a it's a massive honor, and to be to be associated with Walter Payton, that name and, and that legacy, um, to be associated with guys like Larry, guys like Drew, who have upheld that um, legacy and what it means. It's it's very very special. Yeah, and I look forward to the honors getting back in person because that's my favorite moment. Is when it's when the Walter Payton man of the year award winner is, is named whoever's in the stands who has won that award in the crowd, they come up on the stage and I guess go, get, get goosebumps just thinking about it. It's so cool. And obviously, you know, now the hall of famers have done that as well. All right. I got a couple left and then we'll, we'll finish up here. Uh, all right. Here's a good one. Hey, JJ, go Badgers. I'm all right. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm reading this. I'm not, you know, advocating <laughs> we're, it. We're going to clip that. Rich. Don't worry. Okay. Go Badgers, probably one of the greatest players in the history of UW football. I assume that's you. Would you ever consider coming back to Madison as a member of the coaching staff one day? JJ Watt. Ah, fascinating. I appreciate the question. No, I will not. Uh, I have no <laughs> yeah. interest. I have no interest in coaching at the collegiate level. Um, I have a lot of respect for college coaches and the immense amount of work that they put in from 
practices to meetings to building the practice schedule but then the recruiting side of things it's just draining i mean just flying all over the country meeting with recruits meeting with high school coaches conventions and practices and spring ball and there is just the amount of time just pure time that they put into their job is incredible and i personally would rather spend my time differently Okay, very good. Um, here, who's the toughest offensive lineman you've played against? Um, two. Um, I got to practice against Dwayne Brown a lot of my career being down in Houston together. Dwayne Brown's an incredible player, and I've really had some good battles with him and enjoyed that. Uh, and then Marshall Yonda uh, from the, the Ravens. Love playing against Marshall, an incredible player. Uh, could do it at guard. He moved out to tackle a couple times when they had injuries when he had to. Uh, always played to the whistle, always was just tough as tough as hell and uh was a good player to play against we had some great battles okay and then uh, i saved the best for last how much do you credit your career success jj watt uh to beating up on your younger brothers (laughs) uh i credit it definitely builds confidence i'll say that um (laughs) i will say this i mean we work out together every day we worked out together this morning and there is no question about it that the rivalries and the competition that we've had since we were kids in the backyard has led us all to be more successful than we would have been otherwise. I mean, just today's workout, I'll take today's workout. For example, we're in the dumbbell rack for dumbbell bench press and, you know, I'm grabbing one weight and now TJ's sliding down from the weight he had in his hand. Now he's sliding down 10 pounds heavier. And then, so for my next set, I saw that he slid down 10 pounds. So now I'm sliding down a little bit further and like, it, it never just, ends. It never ends. And you're pushing to like, we're consistently trying to find the limit and we are making sure that no matter what each of us is finding the highest limit that we can reach. And I think that, you can get that from teammates. You can get that from other players. You can get that from coaches and workout partners, but there's just something about when it's your sibling and it's your brother pushing you and grinding with you and doing everything they possibly can. Um, it's special. I'm very lucky and fortunate to have it. That's it. Uh, well, that's an odd one. Last one sneaking in here. How cool is Daryl Morey? I wonder who asked that question. Really <laughs> How cool. Is uh, let's Morey? check the analytics on it. I don't know. We have to <laughs> check the numbers. JJ, that'll wrap it up for this uh, this this panel right here to play or not to play right here at Sloan. You're the man. You be well. We'll chat uh, again. I appreciate soon. you. I appreciate everybody on the call. Thanks, Rich, for a great job. And uh, you guys can just um, you can either mail the degree to Arizona or you there can goes. mail it up here or you just post it online, like a picture of me with the MIT degree. Whatever you guys want to do. So that makes sense. It. These yeah. are this none of what you said is unreasonable in terms of no. a request. I think yeah. it's totally reasonable and should be at least part of the gift bag that we're we're expecting. All right. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. You're the man. That's it. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.